Welcome to the Sex, God, and Chaos podcast, a conversation built to help you address the mess, connect the dots, and defeat addiction. Doing your work matters because if nothing changes, then nothing changes. Life is tough and we're here to help. I'm your host, Ben Derrick, and as always, I'll be joined by Roan Hunter. Let's jump right in. Roan, it's been a day in the studio. Once again, um, seems like we've been here for a week. <laughs> the is content has been great. Technology <laughs> has not been our friend today, but here we are. Gosh, it seems like, I don't know, I think the devil lives in, in IT equipment. We are very hesitant to, to yeah, give him credit for too many things, but today has definitely felt that way. Uh, but. Yeah, he, he woke up, uh, flew, flew here from Las Vegas because that's where he <laughs> lives and Unbelievable. The level of problems that we have usually matches the quality of the content. So this episode we were about to roll out for our listeners, maybe one of the best we've done so far, strictly because the guest, this guy has a way of talking about life problems that's very unique. Man, it is. this. Um, I had been looking forward to this because I knew it was going to be just an incredible episode. And it is. Uh, Harrison Scott Key, uh, author, uh, he is uh, a native of Mississippi, um, and he is uh, he, he's a professor at Savannah College of Art and Design in his real job, but he's written several books, working on another one, and um, the book uh, that you certainly caught our attention uh, is How to Stay Married, the Most Insane Love Story You'll Ever Hear. And it is the story of his marriage and his wife's affair. Um, and uh, it's one of those books, I don't think I knew what the... Somebody just said, hey, you, you ought to listen to this, you'll like it. And Eva and I both got into the book. Uh, we were driving about five hours and um, and we got to our friends, uh, um, got to their house, and we wanted to keep going because uh, we we were so engrossed in the in the book. Uh, and the great thing about the book is, and I think I, I, I'll, I'll talk about this on the podcast, is that um, it is not clinical. He doesn't use any of the clinical uh, terms, mm. uh, but you can tell that he uh, they've done their work. And it is genuine, it is real, um, it is vulnerable, and it is funny as hell. That's the thing. His approach to these really tragic things going on in his life, he uses humor, not only to cope, but also to talk about. And I think that's what's making this book just explode. Uh, because sometimes the only thing you can do is laugh, you know? Well, we, we, I mentioned it, you know, even, you know, for even I, one of the things uh, that was, uh, I think, attracted both of us to each other is the, the sense of humor. Um, I think that's a beautiful thing in every, any coupleship. If you don't have that, by the way, you may ought to go to, I don't know, a comedy club or something. You need to, you need to kind of develop that part of your relationship. Mm. Um, and, and, it's you know these things the in the face of this level of crisis um sometimes um you you just got to laugh at uh, yourself uh each other and just the whole situation um and it, it is an important part of recovery uh as well well we can't wait for our listeners to get to this content 
Before you do, though, if you are enjoying these episodes, getting something out of them, we're just going to ask politely because that's the type of man that we are. <laughs> we're going to ask you would get on uh, whatever you're using to consume these podcasts and leave us a review. We have found that people are finding us for the first time each and every day. And these written reviews really help them know what the podcast is about. So mm-hmm. type out a few sentences, if you will, just for us as a favor to us, but mostly as a favor to people who are looking to get a sense of hope and we are finding out that hope is spreading through this podcast all across the world. So if you'll do that for us, we'd be highly appreciative. Mm-hmm. So without any further delay, here is our episode with Harrison Scott Key. So welcome back to the Sex, God, and Chaos podcast. Uh, this morning, uh, we have a, a, a just a special guest. Uh, I've been looking forward to uh, having uh, Harrison Scott Key uh, on the podcast. Uh, my wife and I listened to the book uh, actually a couple of months ago, and uh, we were driving to some friend's house, and it was about a five-hour drive, and we wanted to keep going because we were riveted uh, by the book and, and Harrison, just uh, your story uh, and, and the way you uh, laid that out in the book was uh, just, man, it was, we both, uh, it was genuine, uh, it was real, it was authentic and vulnerable. And the greatest part is it was hilarious. Uh, <laughs> Thank uh, you. Uh, with a, a very, very uh, sensitive subject. And uh, my wife and I, uh, in our counseling practice, uh, we work with infidelity and betrayal uh, just every day. And so, when I when we listened to the book, I said, well, "I got to get him on the get him on our podcast." And and then certainly the uh, the Mississippi connection um, that that just made it a slam dunk. So, man, appreciate you joining us. And um, just if you uh, if you would just kind of give us um, uh, you know, cliff notes uh, uh, of your of your story and the how to stay married the most insane love story that you'll ever hear. Well, it's uh, it's a lot of different things. On the surface, it's a a book about uh, marriage falling apart and uh, uh, through infidelity and and other things. Um, and sort of what it was like to ha- what it was like to to save that marriage or what that process was like. Uh, although, and that's sort of how you know you might describe it if you had thirty seconds. But but really, the book is a is it's almost structured like a true crime novel. Uh, it starts like all great murder mysteries. It starts with a with a dead body. And uh, the dead body at the beginning of this book is my marriage when my wife tells me that she is in love with a guy who used to be our neighbor. And um, I immediately try to, you know, you know, Sherlock Holmes this thing and try to figure out, like, not just uh, um, reckoning with the fact of this dead marriage, but who killed it? And is it really dead? Uh, and uh, if it's not, uh, how can we get this thing back? And is it worth getting back? Um, and so I go through. So the whole book is sort of structured like that. It's like a true crime romance horror comedy um, where I and the comedy comes from my absolute 
uh, a bewilderment at this situation at finding out that, I mean, it was comical from the beginning, obviously not, I mean, incredibly tragic too, but, uh, when, when you find out that your wife, uh, has been in love with your neighbor for years, this guy that you've, you know, cooked chicken wings with, and, uh, you know, you let him borrow your weed eater and he's borrowed your chainsaw. And, you know, I mean, it's just, it like blew my mind. And I couldn't help but laugh. I laughed as soon as she told me. Not a laugh of like um, of derision uh, or of uh, high comedy, but a laugh of absolute shock and surprise. Um, and so there's a lot of comedy in this book. Uh, and the only reason that is is because I'm I'm just a I'm a funny person. And what I mean by that is I'm I, that's just how I look at the world. Uh, you know, I've given about five eulogies in my life and those are funny um just because i believe that that uh the world is so broken and so incongruous and uh that's what that's the heart of comedy is brokenness and incongruity things that don't fit that don't match and um and so yeah it's funny it's really sad and tragic and there's a lot of sadness in the in the book a lot of my grief in the book uh, a lot of my wife's grief in the book but ultimately um it's a story of, uh, of hope. Uh, it's a story of community. My friends, our church play a huge role in the story. Uh, my wrestling with God, it's a, it's a religious book. It's sort of all over the place, man. It's a book about marriage. It's a book about God. It's a book about family. It's, it's a book about hope. It's all over the place. Yeah, I certainly, man, just uh, 100% uh, agree. And, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, my wife and I went through our own uh, tragedy in our marriage, um, and uh, we divorced and remarried. Um, But one of the things that we talk about is, you know, kind of uh, the sense of humor uh, and in some ways, kind of being able to laugh at some of this stuff because you just can't make sense out of nonsense. And so uh, that sense of humor was one of the things that that just was attractive uh, in the beginning and then uh, certainly uh, even brought us back together in the midst of a lot of pain. And, and I think, you know, in working with couples, um, it, it, not that it's funny, but in some ways you just kind of have to laugh, your, laugh at this stuff because otherwise you just want to crawl under a rock and die. Um, Very true. Uh, so I just, uh, one of the excerpts uh, that I just, I, I just want to read this for our listeners because, you know, the day of discovery, uh, whatever it is um, in this betrayal uh, drama that happens, uh, uh, man, you, you just did a great job of kind of putting it, uh, uh, your, your feelings uh, on paper. And so just so our listeners can uh, get a sense of uh, what it was like uh, on D-Day, um, When you hear the most shocking news of your life, what do you do? Do you weep, laugh, go for a drive, a run, a gun? What I did was stare across the room at a beach ball, a toy left on the floor, ever so slightly deflated, with a pinprick hole never to be repaired. Its days of play were over, so were ours. 
I stood and took the deflated beach ball in my hands, I think better on my feet with something to hold. Reality now felt as weird and useless as this ball, filled with expended breath, so easily destroyed. She did not look like my wife anymore. She spoke like an indifferent alien droid who did not necessarily wish to destroy life on Earth, but had been programmed to do so. I needed facts, which I extracted from Lauren with a pair of reductionist tongs during that first hateful night of this new tribulation. I wanted every plot point, every line of dialogue. It was time for revision. The story I'd been telling myself about my life was bogus. The wise and tender-hearted mother, the fiercely funny wife, all of it was an elaborate fairy tale. It's weird to stare at a woman you've been staring at for years and see something new, hidden there all along, waiting for you to see it. If you would only look, but the woman in front of me had few answers to give. I wanted to believe her, but I did not believe her. I wanted to know everything, and yet with all these facts in my hands, I knew nothing. If this ever happens to you, be prepared not to know things. You will never feel as ignorant as you do after you know. Questions only lead to more questions. The answers will never satisfy, though you need them desperately. You need answers like a beach ball needs air. Um, in, in just working in this arena for many years, and um, uh, when we listened to it on Audible, and just, boy, you captured that day of discovery, that moment of discovery, as well as anything I've ever heard. Um, even today, as you kind of hear that, think about that, um, where are you with just what we would call betrayal trauma and um, how, where does that take you? Um, well, first of all, thanks for reading that. It's so good. I'm always shocked by how good something that I've worked on turns out. Uh, and I know that sounds like bragging and I guess it is. Uh, no, but, but I, I get it. But I'm like, Oh, that that's not bad. I'm working. I'm actually working on a new book right now. And, um, it's not going well at all as most as writing almost always doesn't go well. Uh, and so I've, I've forgotten that I can act, I can write a sentence. And so hearing you write, read that, I'm like, okay, whoever wrote that, he knew what he was doing, man. Yeah, That's he, good. He knows, that guy, that guy knows how to write. I, I, I would love to be him again one day. Um, anyway, th- so yeah, thanks for reading that. Um, you know, the, so one of the questions I get a lot is is how I could uh, or why I would write something like this so soon after the events of the story. Now, what you read, that scene happened in 2017, so over just over six years ago, uh, which is plenty of time to process something. Um, there are other scenes in the book that happened only three years ago, and the most recent scenes of the book, uh, yeah, were about two or three years ago. Um, and one reason for that, and I'm going to answer your question, but one reason for that is I really wanted to give the book the feel of a sort of like it like in um the present sort of battlefield report of this just happened i mean you know when there's a when there you know right now there's fighting in uh israel and palestine and there's fighting all over the world but there's fighting mm-hmm. there everybody's talking about it 
and uh, there are reporters on the ground, and they're you know they they are reporting live what's happening, and nobody's saying why are you reporting about this right now? Why don't you wait you know five or ten years so you have better perspective? Nobody says that to them because you get a different reaction when it's right there happening in the moment. You can oh, analyze oh, and and process later, but people do want to see what's happening. That was that was the exact same thought I had with this book. I'm like, you know, I could wait five or 10 years to write this story and it would be a different story. It's slightly different story. They would, it actually probably, probably be funnier um, because, you know, time plus tragedy equals comedy. Uh, but I wanted to write it very, very, I, I would felt compelled to write it almost as it was happening because I, I, I wanted to capture the experience of what it felt like to be me in that moment because it was so awful. And, and so the act of writing is an act of communion with other people, other minds. And that was, and so in some way the writing was a way to hold on to reality and be like, I'm not alone in this. If I can tell this story to somebody else, that means I'm not alone and I'm not dying and I'm not going to lose my mind. And so you ask about, you know, how's the betrayal trauma, the PTSD going, uh, and, um, you know, it's, it's going, it's, uh, it's, I have, as I said, in the, I think the last chapter of the book, um, you have good days and bad days mm-hmm. and you have days where, you know, I had a day the other day where we were all home. Our three girls, Lauren was home. I was home from work. Um, I was cooking, she was uh, doing the dishes, our girls were like doing their homework, and they were like in the kitchen talking, and it was this just beautiful moment, and just beautiful, not a complaint in the world. You feel like sort of eternity imposing itself into the present in a moment like that, and I remember thinking, this is it, this is why we stayed married, for this moment right here, this beautiful mm-hmm. moment of a family just working and working together and making dinner and laughing and talking. And this is it. And that's, those are the good days. And I, and I told Lauren that, um, that day I was like, this is it. I mean, I didn't want, you know, it's hard. You don't want to constantly bring up the, the infidelity and the separation and all the trauma all the time. You can't do that. That can be very punishing to your Mm -hmm. partner. And, um, but I did say, I was like, this is it. I was like, this is such a great day. Just, and nothing special is happening today, but everything special is happening today. Um, that's a good day. A bad day is, uh, when the memory of what happened, um, just rushes back like uh, like a tsunami that you're not expecting, and it comes on you in the strangest moments. And um, and I'm sure this happens for Lauren in in similar and different ways. Um, but I, you know, I'll have a thought like, "What if she still loves this guy?" Mm. Or or I'll have a thought, and that's a present thought. Or I'll have a thought of just remembering. Um, sometime when she said she was running errands and she was with this other guy and I'll feel so small for being so ignorant and stupid. Even now I will still remember what it felt like then. And that, and it feels like a very present feeling and those are bad days. And, um, the, the bad days as you sort of get 
farther away or further away from the incidents uh, of from the the dark season, those bad days uh, should hopefully get fewer and fewer. And for me, for us, uh, therapy, we don't go to therapy as much as we used to. We, you know, we were there like (laughs) once a week for a while because you're in crisis mode, you're in the ICU. Um, But even now, um, therapy just helps with sort of like when you, when the bad thoughts come in, you can't ignore them, but you also can't uh, water them and nourish them and let them grow and grow and grow. Uh, And so it's a, it's a very difficult line to walk where you don't want to wallow in the past, but you also don't want to completely ignore it. Like it didn't happen. You know, we, we talk a lot in, in American Christianity about forgiving and forgetting um, and, you know, for me, it's like, well, um, forgive. Yes. Uh, forget. I'm not sure. Uh, it's more of, for me, it's more of, uh, to, for, uh, to forgive and remember. And the remember is <clears throat> the, the people who went through that, the pe- the two people we were who precipitated my wife's affair and who, and who, um, the Harrison who who helped my wife have an affair by the way I was checked out so much, uh, my very low emotional intelligence, um, which I think is just, I don't know, hereditary. Um, you know, like that, those were different people. Now, they had the same social security numbers and names and fingerprints as my wife and I, but they were different people. And, I, and that's what I have to tell myself is like, well, um, the woman who did that and the man who helped make it possible, those were different people. And, uh, I had share a lot in common with, with that guy, but he's a different man and I'm a, and I'm a different man now. And, uh, that helps on the bad days. Just remembering that they are fewer and farther between us than they used to be. Man, uh, great, uh, a great word. Um, and and I think it is you know the idea of it, maybe it's maybe it's forgiveness and acceptance that uh, you know th- this happened and just the reality of pain um, yeah. and and then being able to talk about it as, as needed uh, in the future because it's one of the things we see so often that couples go through this. And then they decide to stay together, but then they just kind of, you know, sweep it under the rug and never to be talked about again. And, you know, what that what happens, it just really uh, kind of uh, truncates, uh, kind of puts a governor on the on the level of intimacy, the connection that the couple is going to be able to experience, which is what both people want is what we all signed up for from the beginning uh and then couples go through this and um they they'll either just kind of go into uh silent mode about it or they wind up you know taking the easy way out and just cut bait and and you know get divorced and then miss out on what you just described the same you know in in the kitchen with daughters and you know, man, my wife and I, thirty years out, um, and, and you know, by no means it's been a it hasn't been a perfect marriage since that happened, and I'm sure you would agree with that. You know, marriage is in some ways it's like a cat and a dog uh, in a dryer, um, and, and that's just the normal stuff of marriage. Um, but you know, we both would say that, man, after you know, thirty years and now two grandbabies and. 
you know, everything that we went through has been worth it because of, you know, what we've learned uh, about ourselves and about each other and, and certainly about God. Uh, that, that, whole, that whole piece uh, is like, man, uh, we wouldn't trade it, right? And I kind of hear you saying the same thing. Yeah, I, um, I, I often will think, you know, like, man, what if, what if we hadn't stayed married, you know? Um, and I, and I, in a way, um, you know, when, when my wife's first affair happened, uh, and that, and that happened in the passage that you were reading, that's near the beginning of the book. Um, when that happened, our, our reaction to that was definitely to sort of move on very quickly not deal with it. Uh, like, okay, we're married. Uh, we're going to stay married. Uh, you broke up with the guy. I'll, I'll do more dishes. Everything will be fine. Uh, but it was definitely swept under the rug, uh, very quickly. Um, and like smile, grin and bear it, uh, be good Christians, move on quickly. And that didn't work, uh, at all. Uh, and you know, common sense would tell you like, yeah, that doesn't work, but to, in to, but in reality, that's, it's so safe and comfortable to sweep it under the rug because you have, a, it, you have a lot of, uh, gross, disgusting things under that rug that nobody wants to look at. And, um, and so in a way, writing the book was putting all of my cards on the table and being like, all right, Lauren. What if, what if we do the very opposite of what didn't work? What didn't work was smiling, grinning, bearing it and moving on and not talking about it, except with like three people and going to therapy very little and just like, just bootstrapping this marriage. Uh, What if we did the opposite and we made it incapable of not talking about because of a book, if we write this book, it will not allow us not to talk about it. And that was scary. And of course the book came out in June and we have not been able not to talk about it. Uh, obviously when we were working on the book together and, you know, she was as much an editor as my editor, she read through drafts and obviously contributed her own amazing chapter, uh, in the book. Um, we were dealing with it then, but once it really comes out and anybody can review it on Goodreads or Amazon or Audible or any, you know, the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, Christianity <laughs> Today, like it's everywhere. And we're getting DMs from people uh, who think I'm a therapist. And uh, I mean, just the most insane messages, man. Like some are some, you know, I'd say 80 percent are really sweet. And people say sort of what you just said, you know, my wife and I experienced something similar. My husband and I experienced something similar. Thank you for getting this story out there. Or you've made me appreciate my marriage more. You've made me more try to be more aware of what's going on, whatever. Just, you know, pretty typical encouraging stuff. But 20% of the messages are from people who are absolutely insane and are usually in the middle of something. They will send me their phone number and they're like, please call me so we can talk. And I'm like, I don't know you. You you live in Canada. I don't know you, man. Or they'll tell me, like, they'll make the most uh, 
horrifying confessions, uh, and I, I won't even go into them, of things that they that just happened the day before, like they caught their spouse doing something uh, really, really awful. And what? how do you react to that on social media? Do you give them like the thumbs up emoji, like A-OK, or like you give them the prayer hands? Um, and when you're getting like, 10 or 15 of these every day. And I have a full-time job at a university and three kids, you know, like I, I don't even have the emotional space to talk about it. And, um, and so I, you know, come up with, you know, some pretty standard replies like, um, you need, uh, to talk to somebody that you know and trust right now. And maybe, hopefully you have friends, and and if and then you're going to need to find a therapist, and that's going to be a lot of work uh, to find a good one and get recommendations, and then you get a, if you find a good one. It's going you might wait six weeks before you get an appointment, as you know. And so I'm like, you need you need immediate intervention right now, and then you also need to get a therapist. Like I, you know, I give people all those insights. Um, but all that to say, we are we have not been able not to talk about it, and that has helped. Um, for example, doing this interview with you right now um, means that I also don't that I'm able to talk about it, but I'm also not compelling my wife to relive the trauma of those moments every day, right? Like I don't that's punishment to her. I'm, I don't want to do that. When things get bad, it was it was I was in a really low place uh, this summer just kind of vaguely depressed. I'd come off this book tour, which is, you know, a great high. You're seeing all these people and you're all, people are reviewing the book and saying mostly good things about it. And I was just, I came back home and I kind of crashed. And as you might after like, you know, a giant concert tour or something. (laughs) And um, I was struggling with my new writing project and just kind of generally uh, in a funk and it wouldn't go away. And I remember one night in bed, just telling Lauren being like, are did you you know like are you glad you stayed married like because i'm i'm putting you through a lot of hell right now and kind of putting myself through hell (laughs) and the idea of dating somebody who's never hurt me like that's an interesting idea like that's why dating is so tempting or cheating is so tempting because this person that you're cheating with they have never made a budget with you they have never argued with you about what mayonnaise is best. And so it's so tempting to look, you know, the grass is greener. It's like, and I always have to remind myself, I'm like, like, I remember when I, well, when I told Lauren that I was like, are you glad you married me? I mean, I'm sure every now and then you think like, what if I had ended up with Chad? That's the guy's name for listeners. <laughs> and I think, what if I hadn't, what if we hadn't gotten back together and she'd stayed off in the carriage house and I stayed here and, and now I was dating some like really nice person who like likes the same kind of mayonnaise that I like or whatever. Um, so I do think about those parallel universes, uh, not in a, if you think about them too much, then you, you start to sort of lose yourself and things can get bad, but it is interesting to think about what could have happened. And, and it's those moments in the kitchen with the family that I'm like, this is it, man. Some people live their whole lives without this. They live their whole lives without this love and togetherness and this this fun and beauty and this is what we fought for and it's it's good to have those days. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, 
you know, the thing about your book, uh, it's, it was, it was uh, a, a wonderful surprise. Uh, I just, you know, a friend said, uh, you, you need to read this book, listen to this book. Uh, this guy's from Mississippi. And, okay. And, um, but uh, did not know, you know, that the book was about uh, certainly your marriage and uh, the affair um, and the, the infidelity. And, and I think uh, I, I get the, and I think that's uh, like our book, you know, is the, that's for people where all hell's broken loose and, you know, uh, uh, you know we're clinicians, therapists, whatever. Um, but we also have the experience. Uh, but it's, it's different because people are finding our book you know, they're looking for it purposefully. Uh, whereas yours, uh, it's one thing that we love is that it, it was a surprise in a way. Um, and uh, the one of the things we loved about it is that you didn't use any of the uh, psychobabble uh, clinical terms. Uh, and, <laughs> but it's also obvious that, that you have done your work and are continuing to do your work, as you even said earlier. Uh, and and uh, it's apparent that Lauren has as well. And both of you guys are committed to just, you know, ongoing, uh, you know, sitting on the couch as necessary as are my wife and I, uh, you know, we, uh, we, we need, we need check-ins and check-ups and that's just part of the, part of the deal. And yeah. so I think that was, that's one of the beauties of your book is just, uh, to, you, you, you know, kind of not knowing on the front end, Oh, it's, it's a book about marriage. Uh, but man, there, it's so much more than that, uh, because of, uh, the, you know, the, the reality um, and the truth, and then the fact that you guys are, you know, have done a lot of work, obviously, patching this thing uh, back together. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's, um, I like what you said about the therapy being like a check-in, you know, um, a lot of people are so afraid of therapy. Like, they they look at therapy like uh, you would look at a, at an ER, like, why would you go to the ER if nothing's wrong or they, if you're not sure? You know, going to, you know, it's weird, but I, I try to help people see it that it's more like dentistry, um, going to the dentist. You know, um, people didn't go to the dentist for a long, long time and, and across human civilization. It's relatively recently. You know, if you, if you time traveled back to, you know, 1542 and you said, hey, everybody, really think you should go to the dentist, you know, to them, like, the, I, nobody even knew who, what a dentist was. <clears throat> and if you went there, they were going to, you know, start pulling things out of your skull with pliers. Whereas now, you know, you go to the dentist uh, because <clears throat> teeth last a lot longer than they used to because people live a lot longer than they used to. Well, marriages last a lot longer than they used to because people live a lot longer. And, mm-hmm. um, and so you go to the dentist because they, they need to clean your teeth every, about every six months. And uh, if something goes wrong, you're already there, and they can check it out and be like, we got to fix this thing here. And it's so good, great when you go to the dentist and they clean your teeth and they're like, hey, man, everything looks good. And you're like, that is awesome. That's what going to therapy should be like. You go. Most people Amen. obviously first go when something really bad is going on, either personally uh, or in their marriage. 
uh, with them and and their spouse. But um, what it's good for for us now is as a check-in of like, all right, like every four weeks, every six weeks, we'll go see him. Sometimes uh, my wife at our last appointment, like when I was on tour, uh, and he does also do Zoom appointments. Um, but when I was on tour for the book, my wife went without me. And then she was she had a, a work meeting and she couldn't get out of it. So I went without her. And again, still a great check-in. And I came home and she goes, what did you and Doc talk about? And I was like, and it, she wasn't prying. She was just like, you know, kind of prying a little bit. <laughs> she was just like, well, how did it go? Because <laughs> he's our therapist, not my therapist. And uh, I was like, well, we talked about this and this and this, and it precipitated a great conversation. And mm-hmm. um, and that's what's so great about it is like, my, I've been going through some stuff with my mom. She's aging and we're taking care of her. She doesn't live with us, but she lives like five minutes away. And, um, and going through a lot of like just typical sort of children caring for their parents type stuff and it's been very sudden and uh i wasn't expecting when i when we set up this last appointment i wasn't thinking about that nothing had happened but as soon as i walked in he's like well how's it going and just all this stuff about my mom came out that i wasn't even expecting to come out and he is also taking care of his mother who's even older than my mother and he just like had all this great advice and insight and it was almost like we were just talking as friends about our parents and it was so healthy and i ended up saying some really nice stuff about my wife my wife has been so this is starting to sound like therapy too i'm sorry um <laughs> oh, I, i'm she, used to it okay well she my wife was has been so incredibly helpful with my mom and caring for my mom and making sure she's, uh, cared for. And, uh, and so I just, that all started coming out and I realized as we were talking how grateful I was for my wife and how, um, how sort of with it and sort of so, so in control in, in, situations that could get very desperate very quickly and how I always admired that about her. In fact, that was one of the things that attracted me to her when we started dating is she just, she had like six jobs. She was just so in control and she's, and I was an artist, you know, just flailing about. And I've so admired that. And, and so as I'm talking to my therapist, completely unplanned, easily could have skipped this appointment because like nothing terrible is going on right now in my marriage, whatever. As I'm talking to him, I'm realizing, wait, what I saw, you know, you think about like, oh, when you got married, you're such different people now. You've outgrown each other. You no longer love. I mean, if you tell, if you tell yourself you're just different people now, you grew apart, like that phrase has killed so many marriages we, that we grew apart. So I'm thinking about how helpful my wife has been and with the situation with my sweet mom. And then I was like, you know, that was the woman I saw in her like 23 years ago. And to see it now almost was like a prophecy come true of how, how, how much better my life is because she's in it. And so just saying that to my therapist made me so much more grateful than I would have been if I hadn't gone to therapy and talked about it. And so I came <laughs> home and I was like, thank you. I just thanked Lauren for being so awesome. And, um, that's why, that's why therapy's great. It's not because you want to cry about your dad hitting you when you were 15, which you do that too. Uh, but it's about expressing things that you didn't, the good things you didn't know you had to express also. 
Oh, absolutely. Um, and, you know, that's the thing. You know, couples wind up in therapy because typically it's, you know, crisis mode. Uh, but the ones that stick with it begin to realize that, you know, uh, the crisis uh, hopefully uh, will pass. And then there's other issues uh, in life, uh, you know, yeah. uh, uh, aging parents and dealing with kids and, you know, uh, uh, terrible stuff. bosses. Uh, yeah, all the stuff, right? Uh, and, and having just somebody to, you know, a listening ear um, and somebody that maybe has, you know, some uh, you know, uh, further down the road and has that same experience, whatever. Uh, but it's just, uh, it, it, it's almost like, you know, we, we all need that. Uh, and it doesn't always have to be a you know a, a, a paid friend. Uh, maybe we right. can develop friendships uh, right. with people that are safe people, and you know they can be uh, you know a, a support. And um, it, it sounds like you guys uh, you know found uh, safe people and kind of had a, a your community of support, which we always say is just essential. Um, and well, it's essential for life. Uh, just you know, connection is the cure for everything that ails us. But certainly, as you guys walk through this, um, you you found some uh, good support and good counsel um, in the process. Yeah, you know, I almost think you could draw a um, a Venn diagram of like one circle would be therapist, one circle would be friends. One circle would be God, uh, and maybe another circle would be a journaling or something. And mm-hmm. they don't all do the same thing, but they overlap a lot, right? You can. There are definitely things that you need a paid professional who's got real, like in-depth reading and training, right? Uh, yes, and who and who's impartial in the best way. Um, but but you're exactly right, man. Like regular. Uh, having regular friendships that you, where you, in, where you sit and have a beer, you sit and uh, visit. You don't have to, it doesn't have to be some God awful men's breakfast Bible study. Shoot me in the head. Me uh, too. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't know what it is about Christian men, especially in the South. When they get together and eat uh, eggs and talk about the Bible. Gosh, man. Awful. Uh, look, anyway, you're going to, you're going to make me go on a rant. I, 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 I rail about this stuff. Yeah. Uh, but, oh, yeah. but to, to have a regular, a regular thing, um, and to live also just living in close proximity with people so that, you know, because man, the, the drop, the drop in, the drop by, I've got a great driveway and I got a buddy who lives about five minutes away and, uh, and every now and then he's like, "Hey man, can I can I just swing by and we have a beer in your driveway? I've got some stuff to lay on you." I'm like, "You got it, man! Like, I'd love he, to." He he's obviously he's not Baptist, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh no, he's he's a good old Presbyterian. Oh yeah, yeah. That's one thing I like about Presbyterians is they will drink a beer with you. Yeah, Baptist. Uh, yeah. Well, they will if they're by themselves, but right. don't, don't bring two of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they'll drink a beer. They just won't tell anybody about it. <laughs> what is that? Is that Sprite? That's not White Claw, is it? No, it's Sprite. <laughs> 
So I, I do have a confession. You know, I, I had an ulterior motive getting on the podcast because uh, I really uh, I need to get in touch with Hair Shirt and uh, and mm-hmm. get him on the podcast. So uh, uh, that that's really why I wanted you on the podcast because um, it sounded like he was very helpful uh, in the process. He, you know, he he's a he's a good dude, man. He's a uh, he's a good dude. Uh, I, I still see I still see people from that church all the time. It's Savannah's a small town, and oh, I ride yeah. my I ride my bike past that church uh, almost every day, and uh, still see see friends from that church. And you know, it's been interesting. I, I think a lot of people, uh, for those who are listening, uh, there's a lot in the book. Uh, a good good few three or four chapters about my experience with a very large historic downtown church that was sort of conventionally conservative uh, and that a lot of people would recognize as being similar to their own churches. Uh, uh, good folks. I know Calvinists wouldn't appreciate me saying good people, but they were, you know, uh, good, good people, um, but very, uh, definitely very sort of, old-fashioned in the sense of privacy. You don't air dirty laundry. Everybody puts a smile on and has their pearls and seersucker. And and there's, you know, it's almost like, I don't know, it. Uh, I have I still have friends at that church um, and still have uh, a lot of respect for uh, the Reverend Hair Shirt, as I called him uh, in the book, obviously not his real name. Um, and I have moments where I think, was I, was I too harsh? I mean, these are re- these are real people at a real church. Um, I mean, our kid, like our kids go to school with kids who go to that church and I play volleyball with kids who go to that church and, um, definitely noticed there definitely been a lot more cold shoulders since the book came out, uh, from some quarters, uh, which I understand. I mean, if somebody wrote a book slamming my church, uh, I, I'd, I'd probably bow up a little bit to them too. Um, but I felt bad about, it. I'm like, did I go too hard on these guys? And then as soon as I think that I'll get a message from somebody that says, I used to go to that church and I think you let them off easy. I think you, I think you were very kind to them. One, um, one person who used to go to that church, who still lives here in town and goes to another, he goes, he said, I think you, uh, choke, you talked about what was best about that church in an actually flattering way in many ways. And I don't think they will know that or see that, but it was a lot of it was very flattering. The beauty, the kindness of people there, but it just, it was not a church where you could say, my wife cheated on me. Can you help us? It, it was like, it's sort of like vomiting at Disney world. Like, this is not where that happens, buddy. We're going to clean that up, and we're going to put you in the underground tunnel, and we will deal with you. And so it's just—it's not just that church. It's a whole, uh, a whole world, not just of Christianity, but a whole world of uh, pagan and Christian alike who cannot abide bad things happening, can't talk about it, can't deal with it, because uh, the world is too perfect in the way we've set it up here. Oh yeah, and certainly uh, you're 
uh, obviously familiar with Mississippi and, uh, you know, we're yeah. the buckle of the Bible Belt. And, uh, but man, uh, it, it, and again, maybe it's just more inherent uh, in the South, but uh, what you just described is, you know, we, I, we hear it every day. Um, and, you know, uh, we, did a, we did a podcast episode, uh, we called it Helper Trauma. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you, you, you typically a pastor, somebody uh, in that capacity, priest, is on the front lines, and you know the couple, the individual goes to talk to hair shirt, <laughs> and <laughs> and what they get is uh, it's more harmful than helpful, and uh, man, we we just hear those stories uh, yeah. all the time, and it's unfortunate. Um, and I want to say it's changing. Um, I want to say that. But, I think uh, it is. I feel, I feel good about the future just because, especially as therapy becomes more of a thing and more accepted in every quarter. But, you know, we experience that same kind of unhelpful counsel, unhelpful um, reaction, even in, uh, in a Christian therapist. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> no, um, I, that. It, that's what we talked about in the episode. It, it comes in different forms. It it could be a well-meaning, well-intentioned, and I believe they're all well-intentioned. Uh, all but well-intentioned. Boy, yeah, and we've, we've seen it. Um, people have come to us that have seen other counselors, other therapists, and it, it comes in a lot of different flavors, that's for sure. Well, the, what helped, uh, or to give an example for your listeners, um, we went to a counselor uh, after the first affair, or no, well, yeah, we went to the same guy right after the first affair and right after the second, and um, and. Lauren was definitely on the fence about did she want to stay with me or not, but I think she felt uh, for better and worse, she felt some guilt and shame. And she was like, all right, I think, I think I should at least pretend to try to make it work and we'll see if my heart can follow. Right. And I, that, that's admirable. That was, that that's about as mature as you can be in that moment to be like, all right, I don't love my husband, but I, we're married. And I'd like to love him again one day. We'll see. So let's go to therapy and see if that happens. And we went to this guy, the nicest man you could imagine. Um, and uh, both times, he came on so hard with uh, with sort of uh, citing verses and what the right thing to do is. That for my for me, I was it just sounded he just sounded like a football coach, you know, preaching at chapel is what he sounded like. <clears throat> but for my wife, who was really struggling with her Christian identity and the a the wrongness of an affair, but b the rightness of it on an emotional level, how the affair was was mm-hmm. meeting so many emotions that that and needs that she had. So to hear this man basically preach at her, she shut down, man. She and this guy was not preaching uh, like vigorously and hatefully. He was just, but he just sounded like a pastor. He didn't sound like a counselor, and mm-hmm. um, and she shut down. He he was no longer. It was not a safe place for her to share because she was just going to hear the same thing she'd been hearing all her life. And so we intentionally chose a Jewish uh, therapist um, who, according to my research and talking to people who had gone to him, would would not cite, would not be citing any Old Testament or New Testament passages. And I was like, and I had majored in psychology, so I was like, I was like, look, 
I was like, we got to go to somebody who like has written some dissertations on Freud or Carl Rogers. Like we need to go. I want to go deep. Like we got to get past this uh, seminary training, man. I want somebody who has wrestled with the demons of modernity. And uh, this, and he's, he's been awesome. He is so awesome. And in fact, I know of at least two pastors who are going to him now, which I think <laughs> oh, is amazing. Yeah. I bring, I've, I basically filled his schedule for the last, for the next three years, man. I'm sending everybody to this guy. That's awesome. Oh yeah. Um, well, you know, the thing about just, uh, you know, sexual brokenness, sexual betrayal, uh, it, I mean, it really cuts to the, the, the core of who we are in, in the most sacred part of who we are, uh, our sexuality, uh, because, you know, God, our creator, placed within each of us his most creative aspect of who he is, uh, the ability to create life. And, boy, that, that's why it just cuts, cuts uh, to the marrow of our soul. And, and then in the, in the process uh, and just working through this, we're really digging down into every aspect of our life and our belief system and uh, even formationally, you know, kind of the foundations of, of what we believe. Um, and it, it, it's not just, you know, uh, throwing Bible darts at somebody is probably not going to be helpful. Right. Uh, but it is um, not uncommon, uh, unfortunately. Um, and you know, that was the other thing we just, you know, loved about, uh, the book was just, you know, the God piece, um, and just you're working through, um, just your relationship, um, and with him. Yeah. Yeah. I had to, I definitely had to, um, come to terms with a lot of things. And if any, you know, this sounds, I don't know, this may sound weird, but, um, my being a writer uh, really helped me sort of um, walk through this this part of my life, this season of my life, because as a writer, uh, and I don't mean like, oh, I'm, I'm a writer, so I'm really awesome at trauma. Uh, I don't mean that. I mean two things. Um, first of all, when all this happened, I immediately realized that I needed to think of my wife not as this sort of like 2D cardboard person who said she would, you know, love me forever. And so she's always there. But I really need to look at her like I would look at a, a three-dimensional character in a story. That sounds, I know that will sound so distancing and semi-autistic and weird to some listeners, I know. But for me, I was like, because when a, when a character does something zany, any writer will tell you, well, there's got to be a reason. Why did they do it? And so that was the first thing that I really, and I, that comes out in the book. I'm really trying to like figure out who my wife is as a three-dimensional person and why she would do this and what did I not see about who she was and what contributed to this. Um, and then the other piece of that is that when really, really, there's always a wilderness moment in every great story where the hero is fighting a battle on this front. And when it doesn't go quite right, he's got to go the other way and he's got to go through some through some really tough places before he can get back and keep fighting that battle and i remember thinking like well what what's my wilderness going to be i don't i didn't know and uh in a way it was spiritual it's like all right like i'm not going to fight with my wife 
I think I'm going to fight with God for a little bit. All right, homie, what you got? You know, and so a lot of the book is sort of me wrestling with how I think about him and how I read the Bible. Uh, do I believe all these things I've been taught my whole life about forgiveness and justice and mercy? Um, and so, yeah, I, I ended up fighting a lot more battles with people besides my wife. Battles with myself, battles with who I see in the mirror, battles with God, and and I, in, a, in a way, if battles with my dog, as you'll read if you read the book. Uh, battles, in some ways, battles with my children, or at least with school lunches and laundry and all those things. There were a lot of things that – there's a lot of the book where my wife and I aren't even in the same room. We're not interacting together, either because she had moved out or because – I was sleeping in a different room of the house. So as much as this book is about our marriage, I'd say more than half of it takes place when we are in different rooms. Oh yeah. Um, and, and it's, you know, it's just, again, um, just the incredible journey and, um, it, it's so you know hopeful and encouraging. And, uh, I certainly think, um, our, our listeners and, uh, you know, kind of, uh, our niche, uh, people that we work with and, um, those that are looking for, uh, some, some hope in the midst of chaos and crisis, uh, man, uh, your book, uh, and, and y'all's, your story together with Lauren is just, it's powerful. And, um, thank you. And I, um, Certainly, uh, so glad that you were able to join us um, and be be on be on be a guest and and just you know man have a conversation because that's that's kind of what it felt like. Uh, it was awesome. Uh, and I don't know if you ever get back to Mississippi, but uh, would uh, would love to get you to come to one of our. We do these men's coaching weekends, and uh, it's not therapy, it's not counseling, it's just the. Uh, the whole uh, experience of getting men connected on a deeper level where they're talking about this type of stuff rather than isolated uh, and disconnected up in their own heads, which yeah. is where most, most men live. Um, and, you know, you're that artistic bent. Uh, one of the things we talk about is the imagination question. Uh, and that question is always, what if? You know, uh, what if uh, God wants to patch this thing back together? And, and can I imagine that that's even a possibility? And it's hard to in the midst of the of the crisis. There's no doubt. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I think for me, I mean, yeah. There's a lot. There's a when something like this happens, when a marriage basically explodes, um, whether it's because of an affair or. Uh, you know, addiction or death. I mean, there are a lot of things that can precipitate an explosion in a marriage. Um, it was, uh, you have to walk very gently. You have to tread very gently in those moments and, and yet somehow remain very strong. Um, you know, don't, don't burn your wife's panties in the yard um, <laughs> as much as you want to. Um fight for your marriage and sometimes fighting for your marriage means, uh, you know, um, humbling yourself, which is not our picture of fighting at all. You know, fighting is with your hands and, you know, you, you hurt somebody and you win, but, but, uh, I don't want to resort to the cliche of, you know, you, to fight for your marriage, you have to get on your knees. That sounds like something you would see on a embroidered on a doily. Um, but, but it does mean, it often means humbling yourself. 
um, in ways you're not expecting. And, uh, you know, with Lauren, um, you know, I remember saying, I said, uh, when she said she wanted to divorce me and marry this other guy and they were going to buy the house from me and they were going to live here with my kids. And, um, I was like, I knew I couldn't change her heart. Uh, you can't just argue somebody back into loving you. I said, uh, that's, that's cool. Um, I, I'm not going to leave though. I'm not going to leave the house. I, this is our house. So I'm going to stay here. You can leave if you want. I don't want you to, but you can leave. I'm not going to make you stay. Um, and I think that really messed with her head. That was the first step in the right direction that our marriage took. I was like, Oh wait, I'm not going to run away right now. I wanted to so badly go stay with some buddies and, you know, just like finally be free. But, um, I would just encourage anybody listening, especially men when something like this happens, uh, do not run away and do not hurt yourself or other people. Um, but, uh, with strength and gentleness, stay, and some pretty miraculous things can happen. Well said, my friend. Um, well, we're we're uh, getting close to ending our time together. Uh, however, uh, you know, I've got I've, I've got about twenty seven other episodes in my head that I would that we could do because uh, I I. I, I I'd love to do an episode just uh, you know talk about your dad and your brother and um, <laughs> and and hunting together because I, uh, I listened to uh, the you know the largest man that ever lived uh, as well and uh, yeah that that's Mississippi uh, growing mm-hmm. up yeah you've been there done that <laughs> it's, it's awesome um, and Thank so. You. Uh, Next time I'm in uh, in Savannah, I'm gonna I'm gonna reach out and uh, we're gonna sit in your driveway and drink a beer together. Let's and, do and it, man. Smoke That'd a be cigar. Great. <laughs> yeah, I look forward to that. <laughs> oh, no doubt. Well, man, so appreciate uh, you uh, being our guest and taking the time. Um, uh, and uh, and uh, maybe uh, just even me reading that uh, part that you wrote uh, will kind of uh, get you going on this other book you're working on. Yeah, uh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, well, Harrison, so appreciate you. Uh, if people want to um, get the book, uh, uh, what's the what's the best way to? Well, we we don't want them reaching out and uh, telling you their horror stories of uh, <laughs> their sexual escapades. But but uh, what's the best way to uh, kind of follow you and uh, get in touch with you and get the book? Well, you can get the book anywhere books are sold. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it at your local bookstore. Uh, I've tons of bookstores have it, uh, how to stay married, uh, by Harrison Scott key. Um, you can order it online. Obviously, uh, you can get it on audible. I, my wife and I read the book. Um, and, uh, a lot of people seem to have enjoyed listening to it. Um, and it's about eight or nine hours long. Uh, and then you can follow me on Instagram, uh, at Harrison key, uh, no, at Harrison Scott key or on Twitter at Harrison key. But yeah, you know, I'm around Google me. Uh, you'll either get Francis Scott key or you'll get me. And one of us is alive and one is not. 
<laughs> uh, well, we're, we're glad you are, and uh, well, certainly thank thankful. Um, and I would also uh, highly recommend uh, yeah, listening to the book on Audible because uh, your 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 narration and delivery um, just adds a whole other element uh, to to the book for sure. So, man, again, thank you so much. Uh, appreciate you um, joining us, and um, we will uh, we'll we'll connect along the way. Thank you. All right, Ron. I really appreciate it. Y'all take it easy. To learn more about what you've heard today and to engage with the Sex, God, and Chaos team, visit sexgodchaos.com.